Welcome to Crime Corner, where we examine all things crime, whether it be on the page, on the screen, on the street, or in the courtroom. I'm Matt Coyle, author of the Rick Cahill Crime Series, and I'll be your host for as long as it takes. I'm really excited about tonight's show. I've, uh, when I started this uh, podcast about a year ago now, of course, I was going to have mystery authors on because I'm one of them. But uh, I always want to get true crime uh, writers on uh, because true crime really fascinates me. And so tonight we're lucky because we're going to have uh, uh, Lise Wheel and Caitlin Rother, who wrote Hunting Charles Manson. Uh, Lise Wheel is one of the nation's most prominent trial lawyers and highly regarded commentators. I'm sure you've all seen her on TV. She was a legal analyst and reporter on the Fox News Channel for 15 years. She's also a professor of law at New York Law School. Uh, prior to joining Fox, she uh, was an analyst and reporter for NBC News and NPR's All Things Considered. She served as a federal prosecutor in the United States Attorney's Office. She hasn't done much with her life. Uh, she earned a Juris Doctor from <laughs> Harvard Law School and her Master's of Arts in Literature from the University of Queensland. Although uh, Lisa's written many best-selling mysteries, um, I think that Hunting Charles Manson is her first true crime book. With Lisa tonight is yeah. New York Times best-selling author Caitlin Rother, who has written or co-authored 12 books. She, has, she just released a memoir, too, uh, Secrets, Lies, and Shoelaces. She leads narrative nonfiction workshops at San Diego's Writers, Inc. and local libraries and regularly appears as a TV crime analyst and speaker. Depending on her busy schedule of book deadlines, TV interviews, and speaking engagements, Caitlin also takes on a limited number of clients to consult in writing, research, and promotions. Welcome, Lise and Caitlin. Thanks for Great having me. Great to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. Um, I just want to give a shout-out to the listeners uh, who sometimes call in. I'm not going to take any calls today because we've got two great guests in a short period of time. However, uh, Harper Collins has, out of the blue, uh, offered to give us a couple of copies of Hunting uh, Charles Manson. So what I'm going to do is I'll awesome. take uh, questions via Facebook or direct message uh, via Facebook. And uh, the two best, I'll give away the book, and I'll announce it at the end of the um, show. Anyway, enough of that. Paul, right. I, yeah, that was uh, that was really nice. I'm going to suggest everybody that comes on the show now their their <laughs> publisher yeah. has to say, "Give me free books." Exactly. Yeah, we, okay. we, the, the, we've got an amazing just a, the, you know, we've got really do have an amazing publisher. They've just been so supportive of hunting, and this is actually the beginning of a new series. So they've just been they've been amazingly supportive. So we're just very very happy with 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 the great job they've done. Yeah. Well, you guys also did a great job with the book. And what, here's what I really like about it is it's, I believe it's, it's told in narrative nonfiction, which to me, it reads like a uh, first-rate crime novel. So it's really um, suspenseful and um, poignant and sad at, at times. Um, now, I don't know how many books have been written about Man Manson. Um, I'd stopped counting uh, at 15. I'm sure there's probably twice that. He's obviously one yeah. of the most notorious criminals in uh, many any history. And it, but his crimes are almost 50 years old, so I was wondering why the story now? Well, the story now for several reasons. I mean, there, there's, there's an anniversary of sorts. I mean, it's, we're coming up to 50 years yeah. of the crimes. You know, yeah, it was uh, summer of 1969, August of 1969. So we're at 49 years. Um, it, was, it was strange that this was – that he – uh, Manson had the grace, thank you know, one graceful thing that he did to die in the middle of all this. We were almost, you know, at the end of doing yeah. <laughs> the copy editing. No, I mean I'm being facetious, obviously, but 
Um, I think for, for, you know, Caitlin can speak for herself, but for me, a big part of it was the poignancy of uh, when I went to um, Tex Watson, uh, Tex Watson's parole hearing in October of 2016. That was his last parole hearing, and that was, Tex Watson was the person um, who actually, you know, commit, physically committed the, most of the crimes, most of the murders. Yeah. And at that point, I was still thinking, you know, um, you know, maybe this is a long magazine article. I mean, it was, it was still in the idea of, you know, it was just ruminating. But um, the, uh, seeing in the victims, um, the, the remaining family members, the poignancy of the pain that was still there, and it's, it's still very, very fresh to them. They're going to all these parole hearings, one after wow. the other after the other. And still very much, this is very much fresh to them. And also just how much history can repeat itself. I mean, we're seeing it now with the cult-like, um, you know, re- reimaginings of the playbook of Manson in the Keith Rainier, um trials that oh, are coming, yeah. you know, coming, right. yeah, and the Nexium trials that we've seen just, you know, pop up again, sprout up, I should say, it's a better word, um, just this past few months. You know, Manson's playbook is not dead, and so I think what we thought so much of, we're buying, kind of writing here an historical thriller, and emphasis on thriller, but also emphasis on historical, that this is really yeah. writing a piece of history, and we wanted to do that lest history repeat itself. Learn from history. So I, so I wanted to, to jump in, too. Um, for me, what made this fascinating and different from other books that are out there, um, at least this was our goal, was to really show the psychological aspect of why this why this man is so notorious and why he's become a myth and has become a hero even for some you know underworld group of people who still believe that he didn't actually commit any crime. So you know how did he get these women to do what he wanted, including mm-hmm. kill people? How did he yeah. still today, 50 years later? still have a large group of people. I mean, I, I met many of them um, on Facebook and, and talked to them in these underworld closed secret groups where they just sit and are still obsessed 50 years wow. later about what make, what makes him tick and, and saw him in, in like bright light and had, that he was a good person and that he never made anybody do anything, that they did it all on their own. I mean, it was like t- people were still being brainwashed by his ideas even 50 years later today, and they've never that's even met him. So that's such power that he has over people. Exactly. That to me was and, most and, fascinating. And what, Kate, what Caitlin's saying is exactly, exactly what, dovetailing with what I just said, which yeah. is the power that he had. And that's so prevalent today. So what we wrote about, yes, the events happened nearly 50 years ago, but I guess what we're both trying to, you know, really, our mantra here is, you know, it, history is so relevant. Um, and, you know, but we, what we really did, and, and Caitlin did a masterful job of bringing, you know, doing all this amazing research in the bowels of, you know, Los Angeles uh, courthouse, of coming up with documents and and um, in these in these documents of of the court, you know, because there were so many different trials that happened. It wasn't just yeah. Manson, but in doing that and and being able to show that um, again the relevance to today and today's times that we weren't just writing about stale history. Exactly. No, no. 
you know, you both t- you actually both touched on um, my next two questions, but to going to the the pull of Manson, the, in, the um, prologue is really interesting. Where there's this 24 year old woman star, she's taken Manson's nickname for mm-hmm. and his last name, Star Manson, was writing to him since she was 17, and uh, here she visits him in prison. She's 24, he's 79, and how can you? Is it possible to explain? Mm-hmm the magnetism of this guy 50 years after he was collecting people for his family. Well, I can tell you that, that basically she heard of him because of his environmentalism and his animal activism, Mm -hmm. pro animal, pro, pro environment, save the world, save the planet. That's actually how she learned about him from a friend while she was in high school. And so she wanted to meet him and she wrote him. And, and so it actually, it's like there are these young people who get these idealistic ideas and, you know, some of them contacted Susan Atkins, some of them contacted some of the other women who were in prison, and they see him as some kind of, like I said, some kind of hero. Well, he wasn't there. He didn't do anything. He can't be a murderer. And then I guess he's just got this crazy charisma, <laughs> you know? I don't know. I, I just don't know any other way to explain it. But the interesting thing is when you read this book, whether he was uh, at the Tate LaBianca murders or not, he wasn't when they right. happened, we do know he's actually responsible for at least one murder. Well, well yeah, conspiracy. Conspiracy. Well, conspiracy, well, conspiracy yes, in terms of actually physically being there. Well, right. You want to take that one on conspiracy? Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll back up and do conspiracy. Why don't I back up and do conspiracy? And you and you and I'll take a bunch of shorty say. Um, But yeah, what what was really one of the things that we um, go into and you know is the bungling of the law enforcement, and we can talk more about that if you'd like to, Matt. But um, so I'll take the other side of it as 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 poorly as law enforcement handled that, and we'll go into that if you'd like. I would say that Vincent Bugliosi, who, be, who came to be um, the main prosecutor, there were some machinations before he got to that role, but became to be the main prosecutor on the Manson case, um, really did a masterful job. And you could say, well, how hard could it be? I mean, you had Charles Manson, for goodness sakes, and you had L.A. all riled up about these murders, and you had all these dead people with, you know, death to pigs and, you know, blood all over the walls. Of course it would be easy to convict this guy. I'm telling you, it wasn't that easy, and that's exactly, and, and you just pointed out the reasons why. He wasn't there. He wasn't there at the scene. He didn't go, you had nothing pointing him to being, to being there at the scene. He didn't wield any of the weapons. No one saw him there because he wasn't there. He didn't actually stab anybody. Now, yeah. today, we have things called RICO. We know about conspiracy law. We get big drug lords and then, you know, we, things like, oh, just get them on Rico. Just get them on this. Get them on conspiracy. That way, yeah. this is 49 years ago. We didn't have that. <laughs> it didn't exist. Yeah. So for Vincent Bugliosi to convince a jury that, they, uh, that somebody could be convicted of murder, many counts of murder, seven counts of murder, uh, first degree premeditated murder when he wasn't there because he set other people in motion, put them in, in mind to do something witchy, which were the exact right. words. Yeah. Um, right. By setting and that in motion, that was that was 
that was kind of unheard of. I mean, good for him that he did it, but it was it was really interesting from a legal standpoint. Right, and before, he, was, they, he was actually he was actually charged with conspiracy to murder. So he yes. actually, um, and they all were. And under the law, yes. you know, conspiracy to murder is the same as murder. And then right. I think that's that's right. basically what yep. people did not understand then. They do right. not want to accept now. That and it right. was difficult, I think, for for the for the prosecutors to to convince people that that was how it is. But that is how it is under the law. And by right. brainwashing everybody, by getting everybody to think that they did it on their own, to get them to want to kill these people, to please him, to to put them in the frame of mind where they thought they were freeing these people in some cases. And in other cases, you know, just they were beautiful, rich, white people, and they wanted to start this whole, you know, war, which right. is the whole helter-skelter thing. But, I mean, basically, that's, that's, the, that's the deal. It's conspiracy. And that's why people don't understand it even today, and that's why they're still thinking he's a hero because they don't, they don't get it. <laughs> that's well, to, right. to, <laughs> to go, to, But, you know, what's interesting about it, too, is that Bugliosi had to do this trial actually pre-Manson, if you think about it, because now everyone would think, well, that's yeah. a Charles Manson situation. There was no Charles Manson situation. I mean, exactly, really. exactly. That was my point. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. That's why he deserves a lot of credit, because it's not. it was not a slam dunk for him, not at all. All right, so obviously Manson had, I don't know how many women. I mean, it was the, the size of his family was ever growing. And, a lot. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, he had men too. He had he had muscle, and the, he found right. the, the vulnerable women. He he love bombed them. They had low self esteem. He love bombed them. He added drugs to the mix. But how did he get men into the family? With the women, a big part of it was with the women. The women with the women and the drugs. So basically, right. Manson would 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 get the women, give them the drugs give the women to give the men the drugs and then have sex with the men. And then the men, you know, would do anything because they got free sex and free drugs and young girls. Many of them were under, under 18. So these guys were in heaven. Yeah. I think I'm going to start practicing abstinence, although in many ways it's been forced on me, but anyway, um, (laughs) that's another story. Yeah. That's a whole other show. Yeah. Um, so, um, I knew because here's what's weird about this story. I was 10 years old when these um, when these murders happened, and this was way you know this was before the internet or 24-hour news. But it's down in San Diego, right. two hours north south of LA. But I knew all about this. I I don't even I I don't know why I knew about it. I don't know if I read about it later, but I knew all about this um, this crime, these crimes. But so I knew a little bit that Manson wanted to be a, a famous musician. But your book really expounds on that. And I was wondering how important Dennis Wilson of Beach Boys was and unwittingly maybe aiding to the growth of the Manson, Manson family with his pad for one. Well, I, 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 I don't you know, I think the whole I, the whole idea of uh, Manson wanting to be a musician was important. And I think here's why, because I think he was sort of. Um, he really wanted that, and he, he certainly fancied himself to be a musician and to be an artist. And I think his strumming the guitar and singing was part of it. Caitlin referred to his charisma a few moments ago, and I think that the musician part of it was part of 
that package of charisma, if you will. Um, I think he was probably a Midland musician. Okay, fair, probably yeah, pretty good. But it's it's L.A., you know. It's it's yeah. trying to get a trying to get a contract. Love you, love you. You know who are you? <laughs> you know that kind of thing. You know. And but he only it, heard it, love it, you. It's so. Yeah, he only heard exactly. And so, you know, I think he got ticked off. I think he said, um, I thought, I, I, I heard the contract part. You have it exactly right. right now. I heard the contract part. I didn't hear the renege part. Or when I heard the renege part, you know, there wasn't a contract part. I got reneged. He got angry. Now, it would have been, you know, people have said, well, if that would have happened, you know, then, it, you know, all these murders wouldn't have happened. I say, probably baloney to that because mm. if it wouldn't have been that it would have been something else you know manson this is an unstable guy and we talk and that's another thing that we talk uh caitlin and i felt very strongly about was bringing in his whole history of mental mental illness and um that's, right. that's a really right. important part of the book as well that's not really delved in it as much in other books but anyway i digress um you asked about the the music industry but that's that's a real part of it but it's not in the sense that, you know, some people play that up to it to, to just to an nth degree. And I think it's important, but I don't think it's the penultimate fact. Well, and, and also, you know, that Dennis Wilson was also ending up being a victim, even though he wasn't killed. He ended up giving the guy, you know, too yeah. much latitude. Manson... Um, you know, praised him, and at the time, Dennis Wilson was kind of at the bottom of the hierarchy yeah. in the in the Beach Boys, and so you know, Manson fed his ego and fed you know, gave him the girls, gave him the drugs. Then there were a bunch of other friends of his, you know, Terry Melcher. Terry Melcher is the guy yeah. that Manson right. got so pissed off about, and Terry Melcher is the one who Manson thought promised him a music deal. And, you know, he was also pissed off at Dennis Wilson for stealing, you know, according to Manson, stealing his song, retitling it, changing his words, never giving him any money. Well, that's because Manson, you know, ended up being given by Dennis Wilson nine or ten gold records, you know, did all this damage to the house. One of the family members crashed the car, all that. So Dennis Wilson... And then got threatened, you know, when he wouldn't give him yeah, any more money. Right. Manson started threatening, threatening him with those bullets that he would, you know, leave, say, I'm going to get you, you know. So, so Dennis Wilson ended up, you know, thinking this is a good guy to, to play music with and ended up being completely taken advantage of and scared for his life and for the safety of his seven-year-old son as well. Right. I wasn't trying to point the finger. Right. It was, it was not good to be a friend. But, but – I mean, no, they, yeah, they're able to he, use his house, so he, uh, he had that nice was right. Pacific Palisades. So, you know, I mean, that's helped to right. Manson in some ways, you know, look where I am. I mean, how did this guy <laughs> – he stayed in a lot of different places, Charles Manson. He's he's he stayed in an amazing number of places. Yeah, some, he's a nomad. Some, he loved being yeah. traveling. <laughs> some nice, some under a rock in the desert. Um, right, right. Well, uh, <laughs> Lisa actually answered my next question, so you guys are right on, right on track. Um, okay. So, also, I knew the uh, that Manson supposedly had a desire to start a race war and try to frame the Black yeah. Panthers for the Tate and LaBianca murders. Um, uh-huh. However, you guys actually have a chapter that says alternate uh, was it alternate theories or I forget the title name of the chapter. Uh-huh. Yeah, alternate mm-hmm. theories. You're right. You want yeah. to get into that at all? 
Sure. Okay. I mean, there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, helter helter skelter is is what everybody knows, right? And helter skelter is still remains the prevalent theory, and that's that's that um, Manson dreamed up in Spawn Ranch, uh, where I went um, it, last spring, and 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 uh, I uh, braved poison ivy to go. Oh tromp around and spawn ranch there. Yeah, there's a lot of poison ivy growing up there. Um, and looked around there and went all that. But, you know, he dreamed up this idea of he, they would, these killings would make it look like they were done by the Black Panthers. And this is now, when I say this, guys, it, it sounds crazy, okay, but this is coming from Charles Manson's perspective, okay? So don't blame this on me. This is just, I'm giving you this perspective from Charles Manson. Anyway, blame it on the Black Panthers, start a race war, when everything got crazy and this new, um, and, and the African Americans had won over Los Angeles and they were running everything, they would couldn't handle it and they would need to call who who's going to be ghostbusters who's going to be running to the rescue charles manson and his group are going to be who are going to be hiding out in the desert who are going to be coming and rescuing and and charles manson will be their leader i mean it sounds crazy topsy-turvy but that is what in his mentally diseased mind that's what he thought would happen basically thumbnail sketch of helter skelter I mean, so the, alter- that, and that so the alternative theories, though, right? Yes. Are are yes. those that are are different from that, and in, in addition to that, so it's we're not saying yeah. that that didn't happen, but that that was what won the case in court. So what we right. went into, though, are these other theories that people have still today that Manson has um, told people since the trial in different ways and in different um, scenarios. And, and, I, and it's not to say that we are the first person, first people to, to mention any of these theories, but they are different from the status quo accepted theory that was in Helter Skelter, the book, and that was presented in court. And that is that these, these murders were more drug-related and more, you know, that um, Tex Watson was a drug dealer, which he was, and that um, we have a little section about a theory that the that there was a mafia guy who sold vending machines who was one of the drug suppliers for the family, and so there's sort of like little tinges of some other underworld characters who were dangerous, who had other motives and had you know different contact with the family. The family was trying to raise money to move to the desert. That's where they were going, and they were going to go hide in this bottomless pit while this race war was going on. As crazy as that sounds, he did Mm -hmm. tell the family that. There was much testimony about that. But that there are theories, and Manson has since said that, you know, Tex Watson knew the outline of that house already. Manson had been there himself already because he had met. Tate House, right? At the Tate House, the, he had met the, the the owner of the house at Dennis Wilson's house. He had also hmm. met Terry Melcher, who used to live there at Dennis Wilson's right. house. And um, there there are theories also that you know Jay Sebring and Wojtek Frykowski were also drug dealers, and so drug dealers steal from other drug dealers, and they know they're not no one's going to report them to the cops. But that that Jay Sebring had actually bought a whole bunch of cocaine within like the past week or two and it actually they'd had drug dealers at the house the day of the murders and they bought drugs and there were drugs found in Wojtek 
Wojtek Frykowski's body and Abigail Folger's body a similar drug to ecstasy, um, which was a party drug at the time called MDMA, and that they were going to start dealing that. So that Jay Sebring and Wojtek Frykowski were drug dealers as well as users, and so Tex went there to steal their money, and that was that's a whole other theory that um, that the police actually were following at the time. Yeah. So, Do you think and, that, and no, so sorry, there are a lot of people that there are still a lot of people today who feel that these murders were not, you know, helter skelter motivated, that they mm-hmm. were drug and robbery related. And and if that if the police, had, ironically, if the if they've been tried that way, I doubt that he did the um, there'd be so much notoriety about the murders um, to this day if it was just a drug burn as it's called in the well book. they couldn't have gotten manson because he wasn't there mm-hmm. right and right. so right. the right. only way the, like what lisa was saying before the only way that they could get manson was through this whole orchestration conspiracy the family was basically representing him by going there to do what he yeah. told them to do yeah, but he wasn't there for that theory. one they two, needed but a, he was there for right. he was there for one other one but we won't get into that oh the shorty shave well, well just quickly, time. though, just quickly, there there is a whole section in, in our book where we talk about the Shorty Shea murder that I don't think most people know because right. it came out in these parole hearings, and, um, you know, it's, it is news to, to people who are reading it. I've, I've been hearing that. So they're like, oh, I'm going to buy the book just to find out what really happened to Shorty Shea because – and Manson did – According to Bruce Davis, one of the family members who was is still in prison and still can't get out of prison, even though he's been approved five times, um, Bruce Davis says Manson participated in that murder, which was the ninth out of all the other murders. Yeah, I didn't know about uh, Shorty Shea until I read the book either. There um, you go. Yep. So we're winding, we're winding down. I know you guys are busy, but um, we talked a little. We skated a little bit past uh, mental illness. Uh, do you think Manson was insane? Or yeah, he's dead now, so. Uh, well, yeah, insane. Insane meaning legally insane? No, I don't think he was legally insane. I knew. I think I knew. I, I think he knew what he was um, uh, doing was yeah. wrong. Um, he, he could certainly, uh, you know, understood the. the what he was being charged with, he could help his defense if he counsel if he chose to have defense counsel, which he really didn't. All of that. So absolutely, he should. He, he was competent to stand trial, and he was not legally insane, and he should not have been sent to a mental institution. I don't think. Um, I think he was sent exactly where he was supposed to be sent. Uh, was he insane like you and I would say, you know, the guy's got mental issues. Is he mentally in- unstable? <laughs> Absolutely. Of course he was. Yeah. Uh, well, well, like, duh. <laughs> you know, of course. Right, Caitlin? Right, and he was diagnosed. He, he was classified as a mentally ill patient. He did spend, mm-hmm. you know, 12, however many years, dozen years at Vacaville, which is the mental health institution in the prison system. Um, I'm not sure, because this isn't public information, but I did hear that he was given um, shots of, um, I'm trying to remember what the shots were, Um, anyway, some kind of sedation that they would give you, trazodone or who knows what else, um, that they they give prisoners to sedate them and and keep them, you know, manageable. Um, Mm -hmm. He was 
and he was with you know he was diagnosed with aspects of schizophrenia he was diagnosed with several different personality disorders and clearly you know we have sections in the book where he's just talking and ranting so you can see for yourself as a reader what he sounded like and yeah. you know it's yeah. it's it, he he's very disjointed in his thoughts and he goes from one thing to another and it's it's almost kind of poetic in a weird way except you know so is this guy schizophrenic or is he a mystic because that's how he got people was with this this banter that and that he would you know mm-hmm. one thought would lead to another and they're very disassociative and so but they're these same concepts that he talks about over and over again and so people got kind of hypnotized and brainwashed by that so the mental illness he was able to use to bend other people's minds so was he crazy or was he crazy like a fox yes right well, you know, you, you you touched about how his mind would go from one thing to another, and and from reading the book, I learned that he he kind of took from a lot of different philosophies. Um, right, he did absolutely. Liberal, he studied them when he was in prison. Right. Yes. Yeah, because he was in prison before before any of this happened. He was in prison. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I yeah. lost count even after how many times he was arrested after he got out of prison initially. <laughs> And, how well, that, and that's one of the points we try to – yeah, that's one of the points yeah. we try to make, and I'll just make it quickly because we didn't touch on it too much, was how many times law enforcement screwed this up because yeah. exactly. they paroled him and didn't follow him on parole. Hello? When he was – like he had the bus and he was you know driving up from L.A. to you know San Francisco picking up all these women or you know yeah. or, or, and, and going up and down the coast, and he wasn't checking in. His parole officers didn't know where he was. They weren't. They didn't. They didn't raid Spawn Ranch. I mean, there were so many places where law enforcement bungled. This is. I'm not talking about the bungling during the investigation after the crime happened. Like that goes on. I could go on for another show. But I'm talking about before the before the crimes even happened. They didn't follow up on Charles Manson. Yeah, and it was amazing. To their peril, to all of our peril. All right, right. we we're failed. Failed by the system. I actually got a yeah. uh, great great question um, from uh, Baron Bircher, a longtime listener of the show and a great uh, mystery writer. He wanted to know, and, and I wish I thought of this, is if the yeah. on the alternate theory, if the Tate Tate murders, we'll call them, and they're called, were drug related, how did the La Bianca murders, which I didn't know, happen just the next night, right? Right. right. Mm-hmm. How would are, how are, are is there a drug tie-in or a thought to be drug tie-in to that um, to those murders? Not drug related, but there mm-hmm. is a theory um, that there were some other motives that possibly um, it was a hit um, that Leno LaBianca had a lot of debts. He was actually embezzling money from his own company. Um, they were the, the couple was living well beyond their means. Um, Rosemary LaBianca, even though she owned a dress store, apparently was worth something like $2 million. Her estate was worth all this money. Back in 69, that's a lot of money. Wow, that's a lot of money. Where, yeah. did that, where, where did that come from? So, you know, there were still a lot of unanswered questions. And, you know, the police looked at that, and I, they, didn't, they didn't end up taking it anywhere. I, so I don't think that the, the, the theories aren't as strong, I think, in that case, although there still are some. So basically, it goes back to just the random trying to shock the world. Um, Manson had been at the house next door before, so that's why he ended up on that street and and sent people in, because he had actually been 
actually in that house as well when it was vacant and they were partying in there. The family was partying in that house. So they had been there before as well. So they'd been to both of those houses before. Wow. Okay, uh, last question. Because you mentioned uh, estates, and I believe there's still a battle going on over Manson's estate, right? Correct. Yes. Yes. What kind of um, what kind, yes. what kind of money are we talking about here? To a guy who spent his life in it's prison. It's hard to. Know. Well, it's hard. yeah, he's worth more dead than alive. So the brand. Um, it would be the right. It was exactly. It would be the brand. I don't think he's his so personal sad. belongings. You know, right? It's just more. You know, what what people can make off him. Um, his grandson was able to got got the rights to bury his body, but or to have his, you know, to bury his body, but. Um, the the estate itself is still being is still being fought over. So when we went to press, we were right up to the moment rewriting the chapter about his illness and then his death and then the estate, but um, and the burial. We so we were right up to that, but the estate itself is still winning its way through the court the courthouse in uh, in California. Yeah, I think I think part of the issue is the use of his name in the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, mm-hmm. prob- so, so for example, when I do a true crime book and I want to have a photo insert and I want to take pictures, um, want to use pictures, I have to get the permission of whoever owns the estate of the person who took the photo or who is in the photo oh. because they have control over the use and permission of that photo. So yeah. I, there right. could be, you know, a lot of or maybe music. There may be, you know, definitely the use of his name. But I think, you know, whoever gets control of his estate, I think is going to be able to have to to try to make money off of stuff that we don't even know about yet. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, they already did yeah. a TV series about it just this last year or so. Anyway, there's, I want to thank. There's this a is, ton this of is, stuff out there. Yeah, I'm sure more to come. Um, Mm-hmm. Great book, Hunting Charles Manson. I recommend everybody buy it, except for Elena and Baron, who are going to get a free copy. Um, <laughs> where, yeah. Great. They gave me some yeah. good questions. Where can uh, people find you on social media? Uh, com. You can find my fa- my website. And then you just go to my Facebook, just uh, Lease Wheel. I'm right there on my Facebook. I have a pretty um, big social media pr- presence there on Facebook. Um, and uh, leastwheelbooks.com. Great. And I'm at, at I'm at caitlinrother.com, and I also have um, an author page and a personal page, which is they're both public on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and you know Instagram, yeah. blah blah blah. <laughs> All that stuff. All right. Well, All that stuff. again, really appreciate it. Uh, it was even more fun than I expected. So thanks a lot oh, for coming on <laughs> the Fine Corner. Good. I'm sure you both be busy uh, tying the book down the road. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a nice night. You too. Thanks so much. Right. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Bye. Well, thank you. All right, folks. Uh, two weeks, we're going to have James Ziskin on talk about his new book. And uh, thanks for listening in. This is a copyrighted podcast solely owned by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.